0: Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to uh, 2 Corinthians 10. Hey, guys, um, uh, just to keep you uh, updated and to try and um, enlist your prayer support, um, you know that we just had a group of 29 return from Belize. They got back uh, Friday. We have another group that left yesterday to go to Guatemala. The uh, junior high group is leaving tomorrow to work in the inner city of Mobile, Alabama. And then later this week, uh, if all the passports get in, the high school group is heading to Guatemala, too. You know, um, we don't take any of that safety for granted. Pray alongside us that God will um, keep them safe and use them mightily where they are. I know you parents whose kids are going to go this trip tomorrow will be praying with us, but we ask you all to. You pray with us. But for now, read with me, if you will, a, a portion of um, 2 Corinthians 10. Um, you know, I did a bad thing. I, I listed for you just reading verses 3 through 6, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 10 at verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness and such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, here's, here's what we're going to concentrate on. The next verses for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is is complete. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Hey guys, I hope you remember a little bit of this. I, I, I really don't expect a whole lot, but... Um, you know back on Mother's Day I said to you I wanted to do this brief series about the family and actually it wasn't really wasn't about the family so much as it was about anger and how anger um damages families and so on Mother's Day we talked about um anger in a marriage and what it can do to a marriage and then on the 27th of May um, I talked to you about angry kids. Um, and you, you I don't know how much of that you remember but I started off by trying to you know to tell you that though our worlds as adults are stressful their worlds are pretty stressful too. I tried to make a plea for a bit of empathy and then I really spoke that on the 27th of May. I really spoke so, more so to the kids than I did to the parents, and, and I basically said two things. I said, first of all, you have no, bond, no one to blame for your anger but yourself. Don't don't blame your parents or their high school or your or God or, you know, if you're an angry child, it's it's because you've made the choices. So stop shifting the blame. That was the first point. The other point had to do with the seriousness of the problem, and I talked to you about what Jesus had to say about anger. That was pretty much aimed at um, at the at the child or student or teenager, how, however you want to say it. I said back then, a month ago, that um, I had more to say, but it would be a month before I could get to it, and here we are. Here's a month later, and, and I want to add to that um, some more this morning. And I hope this will be helpful uh, for parents and kids, but primarily this morning, I, I want to speak to the parents. Um, we, we spent most of our time a month ago talking to the kids this morning I'd like to speak more so to the uh, adult part of the equation. Now, um, again, what we're talking about is is what anger can do in a home and how it can consume your attention, particularly if you're dealing with kids who you feel like are wrestling with, or who are angry kids. It's um, it's what I call the Jimmy Dun- Jimmy Dean. Um, uh, syndrome, the angry young man. I don't know whether you remember him, but that's aging myself, I guess. But first of all, let's start like this, guys. Let me tell you parents, uh, um, or let me remind us what it is that won't work. Um, the, the old fighting fire with fire, it won't work. The uh, meet anger with anger, return evil for evil, lash back, um, uh, react in kind, squash the rebellion, eliminate the rebelliousness. It won't work. Um, years ago, I, I, I mean, gosh, 25 years ago, I read this book entitled Parents in Pain. Um, <laughs> you may want my book, but uh, this is written by a Christian psychiatrist, John White. And, and I don't remember a whole lot about what he said in here. I went through it again this week, but um, there's one thing that he says in here that I, I just want to allude to. He says, if you got a four-year-old or a six-year-old or maybe even an eight-year-old, that kind of squashing the rebellion, it might work for now. And I remember when I heard that, for now, it was back when I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And... Um, it, it's a temporary solution, and it might give you a little bit of uh, relief for the moment. But um, it's not the solution. Now, guys, don't mishear me. I, I'm in no way trying to tell you not to spank your children. Spanking may be the exact right uh, response to a given circumstance. But I, I do want to remind you that... The effects of that kind of approach are limited. The effectiveness is, is not exactly what I think you hope it might be. So that's the first thing. It won't work. Placate. That is, avoid the conflict, uh, give in to the manipulation, sweep it under the carpet, piece at any price, um, um, appease this willful child. Hey, guys. That hasn't worked in our marriages. What makes you think it's going to work with our kids? That—that's not a good solution. Thirdly, um, making excuses for them as a parent—you know, calling it what it ain't. You know, um, he's just a strong-willed young lad. Well, <laughs> that he is. But you know, that's no compliment, gang. Do you know what that looks like in its adult version? That ain't pretty. And calling it something that it's not is not going to help you. you uh, the first thing I, or one of the first things is to recognize what you're dealing with. And the fourth thing that I'm saying won't work is some kind of anger management technique. you know, breathe deeply or uh, count to 10, or whatever. Guys, all of those approaches just make matters worse. And and I want to tell you why I say that. But it ought to be obvious why I say that. Here's why those won't work. Because, my brother and sister in Christ, the problem is not out there. The problem is this needy beast of a thing that lies in my chest. The... um, the, trying to threaten or manipulate or avoid or use guilt, which may all work for a while. Do not address the real issue, which is something of the heart. Guys, you know, that, that I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to you. I hope it doesn't. I mean, do you know what Jesus has to say about about that? Um, out of the heart flow all of the... Um, I mean, he, he doesn't... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Guys, the heart is the steering wheel of, of, of every adult. And, and that's why the book of Proverbs says, um, Guard the heart, keep the heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guys, the issue is not Behavioral. Behavior just unmasks the condition of the heart. The behavior is simply an expression of what's on the inside. To try and just change external behavior is not going to help you. It might help you for the short term. The issue is far bigger than that. So, all those approaches that I mentioned... They don't address the heart. So they may give you some temporary relief, but the problem rages on. Now, guys, um, you mom and dads, I hope that will fill you with a measure of hope. Because your child is not emotionally damaged or a bad seed or genetically skewed or incapable of change. No, no. Guys, that hard, impenetrable, willful heart that, um, that you see in your child, it can be changed. But not by a $600 anger management course offered by the YMCA. Guys, um, I said a moment ago that this ought to be obvious what the problem is. But I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure it is obvious to you. If it were so obvious, why do we keep trying these techniques? these solutions, when they won't work, that, um, that child of yours can be changed, and I hope that will um, encourage you. Okay, if that doesn't work, then, then um, what does? So glad you asked. Let's start like this, Mom and Dad. Um, you know, there's this wonderful little statement by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Um, it's a funny little scene, we looked at it before, where he talks about taking the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to get the speck out of somebody else's. Well, that's where I'd like to start this morning, guys. In terms of what will work, let's start here, mom and dads. Um, You need to consider that the first step might ought to be you're going to have to work on the log instead of the speck. Gang, can I, can I read you a, a, a couple of verses? Um, you've heard these before. How about this? Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, um, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You've heard that before, haven't you? How about this one? This is Proverbs chapter 15 verse. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gang, do you get that? I mean, do you, you get what the authors are saying? They're saying that because of certain responses on our part, we can aggravate an angry heart. We can provoke. We can um, make worse. We can add fire to. We can, um, by our responses, provoke our children. Um, I don't know if you heard the little joke about the, the little little... Boy who was given the opportunity to sit in his daddy's chair at the supper table one night because because daddy was out of town and so his somewhat older little or old somewhat older sister didn't like the idea that he got to sit in the chair and she was all ticked about it and she resented the fact that he was sitting in the chair and and um, and she didn't get to and so she uh, she said all right. So you're the daddy, huh? Then tell me, what's seven times two? The little boy, without a moment's hesitation, very nonchalantly said, I'm busy. Go ask your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Now, guys, um, it's, it's responses like that and many others that are far worse than that. That can be nothing but provocations. Gang, um, I, I'm saying that in this battle that we're in, the first place that we need to stop is at our own doors. You know, it might be worse than just bad responses from mom and dad. What What is it that our kids have learned? What, what have they been taught by us as angry people ourselves? Um... What have they seen in how I argue with my spouse? Have they seen me out of control? Blown my stack? Have they heard me enraged? Gang, one of the keys to being used by God to get at the heart of your angry child is to start with your own heart. If there is a log, then for heaven's sake, start with repentance. Let them see you repent. Ask them for their forgiveness. Ask them to pray with you and for you. So that's the first thing I want you to be mindful of. What this might require is first starting with the log that's in my own eye. Here's the second thing. Parents, um, we need to start on the same page, or at least get on the same page. And it's a very confusing, provoking to anger situation when a child hears different things from each of the parents. And uh, if, if the two of you don't agree, he will play you like a fiddle. You know, both ends from the middle. Uh, What the two of you need to do is to go behind closed doors and discuss what strategy you've got and the rules and the expectations and the regulations. And once you've agreed, then you announce them and enforce them and support each other in their enforcing. But you got to get on the same page. Now, thirdly, and here's where I want to spend most of our time, is... You need to adopt a strategy that aims at the heart with God's grace and mercy. You adopt a strategy that aims at the heart with grace and mercy. And let me let me tell you what that might look like. I want to say again the law cannot accomplish anything relating to the heart. You know, our tendency in, our, in situations that have gotten out of control in our homes is to crank up the law. You know, just, just uh stiffer everything. Stiffer penalties and stiffer curfews and stiffer groundings. We just crank up the law. Now think about it, Mom and Dad. If law worked, you wouldn't be where you are now. Character is not imposed from the outside. So does that mean, Jimmy, that we should abandon all rules? Of course not. But just don't count on the rule. Just don't count on law to do what they were never intended to do. Human force works with a four-year-old. But they don't always stay four-year-olds. And it will never change anything permanently. So, that means we got to fight with the right weapons. And that's where our text comes in, guys. I I, I know you were wondering, well, when are we going to talk about that text? Well, go back to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians 10. And I want to show you a couple of things out of this text. We're talking about trying to develop a strategy that aims at the heart with grace. So we gotta we got to use the right, Paul says, um, uh, that we walk in the flesh. We don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power in destroying strongholds. Now, stop first with me at that word strongholds. Some of your translations might use the word fortress. What is that? We all have them. What is a stronghold? Well, first, the first thing you need to know about them is that they exist in the heart. This is not something on the outside. This is something on the inside. Um, But notice what the text says. Um, Strongholds, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Gang, the, the, the point I want you to see is that those strongholds, those fortresses are defended... They are defended by arguments, by false wisdom, by lofty opinions, by pretensions. I'm going to explain this later, but hold on. It's, it's what I'd like to call a plausible lie. You want to know what a stronghold is? It's a plausible lie. It's, a, it's something that your child tells herself um, that isn't true, but allows her to cope with herself or himself but it's not true, but it seems so. It's a plausible lie. Gang, listen to me. When I do a bad thing, I've got one of two choices. I can either confess my sin and and grab hold all over again to the forgiveness offered me in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's one response to my sin. Or... I can erect some kind of system of self-justification that makes the wrong that I've done somehow acceptable to me, to my conscience. I construct a plausible lie that allows me to cope with my own behavior. That's called a stronghold. Can I tell you about one? Just recently, I was in a conversation with four young men who did a very bad thing. It's a very bad thing they've done. And I, before I go any further, let me say I'm very encouraged about those four men, young men. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm thrilled of the possibilities that this thing may have in terms of turning their little four lives around. I'm, I've become quite fond of them. Um, but these four young men did a very bad thing. And um, it was, I mean, it wasn't a conjecture. It was confessed to. It was, it was a bad thing. And I'm in a meeting with them. Well, prior to this meeting, um, they had written me a letter. And in the letter, they, <laughs> they called this very bad thing that they did, They called it an accident. Now, it was a very overt, um, quantifiable, physical thing that was done. And they called it, in this letter, they called it an accident. Well, in my meeting with them, I kind of prefaced everything that I was trying to say with them with, you know, this, this, and the other. And then I said. Now, now let's, let's talk about this for a minute. You have said something in this letter that insults me. And it insults you. You've called what you did an accident. And it wasn't an accident. It was the choice of a wicked black heart. And for you to call it an accident is foolishness beyond compare. At that moment, one of the four raised his hand. And he said, what the the real attitude, he says to me. Well, Dr. Young, you may not think it was an accident, but it was a psychological accident. (laughs) Do you know what that is? That's a plausible lie. That's a stronghold. That's something that this young man has erected in his mind to help him cope with the misbehavior on his behalf that that he performed. Mom and dad, our kids are full of them. Plausible lies that are self-constructed that enable them to cope with their own conscience. Paul in this text says, we don't we, we, we're, we're aiming at the strongholds, but we don't use weapons of the flesh to get after them. So then, okay, Jimmy. What do we use? What is it that will help us to fight to win? What are the weapons? Let me list four of them for you. (laughs) Guys, you know, number one would be pretty obvious to an intelligent group like you. The first weapon is truth. Mom and dad. You want your kids to be exposed to as much truth as you can possibly get them. If the stronghold is a plausible lie, then what we, and what we are trying to do is to identify the lie and replace it with the truth. Now, guys, um, I need to say a thing or two. (laughs) Um, In this regard, mom and dad, for you to sacrifice opportunities for your kids to be exposed to the truth, so that they can play more soccer, more softball, or go on more vacations, is is a very serious mistake in my mind. Now, now you knew I'd say that. I mean, you you could have predicted that I would say something like this. But mom and dad, think about it. Where do you think they learned these plausible lies? Huh? Where do you think they picked them up and got so creative? Gang, one of the responsibilities of the church of Jesus Christ is to handle and present and proclaim truth. Do you understand that things that you hear here, you probably won't hear any place else in your experience. I started to bring this with me, and and my wife kind of talked me out of it, and because my wife doesn't like me to do anything that has, uses those screens, I just want you to know that she doesn't like me to do that. But on our on our recent uh, youth uh, retreat, Will Savell found a YouTube. Y'all know what YouTube is? I mean. I, I mean, they, they just forward them to me. I wouldn't know how to get one, but they forward them to me, and I get to watch them. And it's this, it's this, it's a minute and 19 seconds, and it is phenomenal. I wanted to show it up there, but I, you know. What they do, it's, it's done by the Dove Soap people. And it's a picture of this woman who comes into this room. And you might can find it yourself. Anyway, she comes into this studio is what she does. And she's, she's a very average-looking woman. I mean, average-looking. And, and then they, they, they fast-forward this stuff, and they start fixing her up. You know, all this stuff. And, you know, as, it's, as it unfolds, I mean, this very average-looking woman is really getting to be quite a knockout. I mean, boy, they're just yeet, 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 and they're doing all these things. And right at the end, they've got this beautiful face, and then they take her neck. And I don't, know, I guess you do this with Photoshop. I don't know how they do it. But they take, they take her neck and they go, and they, 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 and they lift up her and they lengthen her neck. And then they take the eyebrows and they pick them up just a little bit. And then the cheekbones, they kind of alter a little bit. And then they, they, they present you with this finished product. And then the camera pans out. And that woman's face. Is on a billboard selling something. And she is gorgeous. But she doesn't exist. And then the closing caption in this YouTube is No wonder we have a distorted view of beauty. Gang, do you think they're going to get that on the soccer field? Do you think your little ones are going to be exposed to truth like that? Guys, I have nothing against soccer. I, gang, I, I played baseball all my life. I went to school on a baseball scholarship. I hope I've told you that before. <laughs> my, my wife says if I say it one more time, she's going to leave me. But... I love baseball. I, and I'm not saying stop baseball. I'm simply saying when you replace opportunities to have your kids exposed to the truth so that they can play more soccer or more baseball, then don't ever wonder again. Where the plausible lies came from. Because I know where they came from. Not just from the soccer field. I mean, there's a lot going on in this needy beast of a thing in my chest, too. I understand that. But, guys, how can a young man look at me and say, Well, that bad, bad thing that I did, that terrible thing, it was a psychological accident. You laughed at that. And it is laughable. You know how he could? Because he has a stronghold. He believes a plausible lie. And where do you think he got it? I don't know. Could have come from a video game for all I know. But I'm telling you this. One place where the plausible lies are being addressed. I'm not saying we're making progress. We can't force progress. But I'm saying... Guys, if you're going to deal with it and make choices to remove your child from that exposure, I think it's a big, big mistake, guys. And I think you ought to give it some thought. So that's the first weapon. Truth. The second thing that I I say four, I only have three. The second thing is uh it really is a result of something I said earlier. If you have started with Matthew 7, that is trying to take the log out of your own eye, then one of the weapons that ought that you ought to bring to this battle is a healthy dose of humility. That is I come to this battle knowing that the only one who can change my child's heart is God. And so I beg him to do so. I'm telling you guys, cranking up the law ain't going to do it. God can and often does. But there ought to be within us such a brokenness in the midst of all this. The third thing in terms of the right weapons is mercy. Mercy. Now, what what does that mean? Let me say two things. And trying to describe, just explain mercy. What mercy means, guys, or what it's gonna mean, is this: that you expect as a parent to suffer. This is a process. It will take time. This mess didn't happen overnight, and you're not gonna get out of it overnight. It may be bloody. But in the midst of the shedding of blood, I communicate to my children that I am not going to reject you although you have brought great pain into my life. I am going to stick with you and persevere with you No matter how hard this gets, that's what I mean by mercy. No silent treatments. I'm not going to pout as a parent. I don't manipulate via guilt. I understand and expect to suffer. The other part of this thing, mercy, that I that I have in mind is, I make a commitment to forgiveness that I am going to forgive and forgive and forgive some more because the process is going to demand it. So those are the three I want to suggest to you. Truth, humility, and mercy. Those are the weapons, guys. Uh, our our default mode is to use law, and it's not helping. In fact, in some ways it's inflaming. Now, one quick word to the... Uh, The children, the students, the child, the kids. I I I don't even know what word to use anymore, which is politically correct. But just one word to you before I close. I I do hope that you remember something that I said a month ago. And I, I said it as we began this morning. You need to remember something I said a month ago. It was this. My young friend, nobody is responsible for your anger but you. Nobody, nobody is responsible to fix it but you. And if your mom and dad fail, I'm sorry. But don't you fail. In this conversation that I alluded to, uh, that I was in just recently, one of the four young men... Met with me privately. He's a dear guy, and I had great hope for him. But he was a ringleader. And um, I had met with his mother, and a um, dear woman, and uh, I would love to get to know her better. But she told me some of the things that this young man had, had faced. And I'm telling you, no 17-year-old should have to face what this young man has had to face. I'd like to get my hands around the neck of his daddy who left them four years ago. I'd like to find him someplace in a back alley. My heart broke for this young man. and. He sat with me and he told me these things. He said, Dr. Gunn, could I say one thing? I said, Yes. And he said, Ever since the ninth grade, and he used a word that I can't use from this pulpit. Um, I'll use it elsewhere, but he had, I, he, I mean, not in common parlance, but I mean, in, in quoting him. But he said something that I can't say here, but he said, Ever since the ninth grade, I have been upon. And he told me the story, and I said, yeah, your mother told me that, and your mother told me that. And I looked at him, and I said, but son, do you want to be a victim the rest of your life? And he looked back and said, no, I don't. My young friend, don't be a victim the rest of your life. Nobody's responsible for fixing this but you. And I plead with you, don't ruin your life, because you are unwilling to face your own sin. But in saying that it is sin, it's the most hopeful thing we could label it, because for sin, there's a great Savior. Our Father, I do pray that you will help um, all of us figure out what makes us so edgy and, and what makes us so angry and hotheads and strong-willed and self-willed and all that stuff that damages every relationship we're in, and the primary one being our family. I pray that you will um, help us to have healthy, healed marriages and healthy, healed homes. And that you'll take logs out of parents' eyes and you'll take logs out of teenagers' eyes. And that we will come to the place where we find a sweet peace by yielding to the Lord of glory. Father, if you brought people here today who have not yet met Jesus Christ, might they see a glimpse of Him in all of His beauty right now. Might they see Him In all of his saving beauty, the one who lived the life that I should have lived and then went on to die the death that I should have died, might they see him before they walk out these doors? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.